Hello, you're listening to Consent Vent on SOAS Radio. My name is Mary and I have been the project coordinator and producer. This is a podcast series aiming to explore the topic of consent, what it means, how we understand it, what role it plays in our daily life and how it is affected by the power structures and systems of oppression present in our societies. In the last episode, we were lucky enough to interview Juliet Grayson about the work of her organisation Stop So in preventing sexual offences through psychotherapies. It was a fantastic episode, and if you haven't already, find it on the SOAS website and have a listen. Um, this episode is being co-produced by Celine, who is a workshop facilitator for the Enough is Enough campaign, and also a previous contributor to the programme. She interviewed Black Fly Zine. Um, Celine got in touch with the topic for this episode. So, Celine... What is this episode and why were you interested in covering this topic for the Consent Vent series? So this episode is about exoticization and fetishization. I thought it was important to cover this topic or an, and to feature in the series because we talk about this in the Enough is Enough Consent workshops and most POC people I know, myself included, have had personal experiences of being exoticized or fetishized. So how would you describe exoticization and fetishization? Well, the definitions we used in the workshops were of exoticization as portraying a person of color as exotic or unusual, thereby normalizing whiteness, and often portraying a person of color in a hypersexualized, othered way. Racial fetishization is an excessive or irrational devotion to someone based on a racial characteristic, thereby reducing the person to that characteristic. That's why I thought interviewing students about their real-life experiences was the best way to get an understanding across to our listeners about how fetishization and exoticization affects people of color and how it intersects with consent. Great. So when you interviewed students, which we'll listen to in a moment, what sort of questions were you asking? I was interested to hear what patterns they saw reflected in the media in terms of stereotypes and other forms of exoticization and the implications of this in terms of racialized bodies and their relationship to themselves and to their own bodies. I also wanted to hear about their experience of sex education and whether it made them feel included or excluded, whether as people of color or queer or person of faith. Through some of their experiences, I wanted to explore the real-life implications of how fetishization or exoticization can affect consent. Great, that sounds really interesting. So now we're going to take a listen to some of Celine's interviews. I guess I have experienced both. I grew up in Asia, so I see. I guess I've seen among my Asian friends. I guess people always talked about or exoticized the many, the few white people that were in our environment. Um, and then when I came to UK, like becoming a minority, I then saw the other side of the coin, where it's like white people would talk about Asians, exoticize Asians, both in the media. So that's on a macro level, but and then on the personal level, like on dating apps, for example, where people like white people would message you oh you're Asian right and then when they say you're Asian I think automatically growing up when you when you when you grow up and hear stories you just know what they're talking about which is that there are a certain set of expectations uh, they have about you and your body or like the roles that you're supposed to conform to like for example being Asian means being subservient regardless of whether you, you identify as an Asian male or Asian female um um, and I guess in terms of fetishization, I guess it, get, it gets a little bit more specific than exoticization where they say, oh yeah, like, I really like Asians because, oh yeah, they have no hair, they're hairless, or like, they, don't, they, don't get, they don't get fat, or like, their skin tone really matches mine, which is a weird one, but I've heard that before. 
Yeah. But the thing is, like, I've also, I also have white friends who, who do, um, do, like, openly say, oh, yeah, you know, like, I have an Asian fetish. Oh, I have, yeah, I have an Asian fetish. And you're like, oh, you know, why? Like, how, like, how are we still talking? He's like, well, it's just a thing. And yeah, I can't explain it, but, like, I just really like Asians. It's one of those things where, like, if you don't ask, you don't know. Um, and I guess once you know, you, you feel a little objectified, I guess. Being Thai, a lot of like ladyboy or like prostitute jokes, like very often, or like being asked if like dressed like a Japanese schoolgirl when I'm not Japanese because they don't really know the distinction. Like the time I was a flyer girl for the dating app, people thought it was like an Asian young girl's finding app, which is a bit weird. <laughs> a lot of guys think Asian girls are really like quiet and like what's that word like subservient and they kind of they want like a nice quiet asian girlfriend to just clean around the house like my ex he literally used to expect me to like clean his house and like make him food i like purposely burnt his food and being like i'm sorry i just can't cook he's like oh you're such a bad asian wife i'm like i'm 16 i'm not your wife people always use like the you know the pickup line like oh like where are you from and they try and guess like oh that's so exotic and like sometimes they're like you don't come across as asian you seem too like loud and outgoing I'm like why would you make an assumption like that in like Thailand obviously the half children are like a massive thing everyone's like you'll just get work husbands anything you want just because everyone thinks it's so like so much more attractive to be a mixture as much as I hate to say it like obviously at like a certain age as a young teenage girl you realize there are things working in your favor and you kind of like to play up to it for quite a long time like when I was like 16. There was like one incident I was with my sister and some American drunk guy came up to us and he was just talking about how we seemed so happy even though we weren't drunk and how um, Muslim women uh, like give off this aura of like they're not to be like you're not supposed to go near them and how sometimes it was a bit sexy which was weird but yeah the first time I'd come across that. Black men and black women actually are quite fetishized in the media and they're hypersexualized especially um, especially black men actually like there's a lot of incidences on Twitter or Instagram where you'd see certain things and it would make you feel a certain type of way because it's not necessarily it's a bit off if that makes sense um but yeah i would just definitely say there's certain races that are definitely hypersexualized in media and portrayed in certain ways as well i mean like my boyfriend is chinese which is fine really like it's not really an issue but like i think there's two things i think of one i think of like people's think people's experiences with me of him like i need something more or i'm lacking something in my sex um and that because he's only attracted to black and mixed race girls. I mean, I'm mixed race. So yeah, he is purely attracted to um, black and mixed race girls, which is quite interesting. And I think you're allowed to have your type. But he was like, There's, there are features where he's like, yeah, I like this and I like that. And, you know, like I justify it because my friends are black and my, that's the culture I'm involved in. But like, I think when you're so heavily focused on the way someone looks and the, the, the way they're presented in front of you, you kind of ignore other their other attributes like for example their personality so it's completely hypersexualized and i think also what that does is it kind of it does like a sort of personal surveillance where like oh maybe my bum isn't big or maybe i should do an extra 10 squats in the gym because i should have a big bum you know like if the media is telling you that your bum should be 42 inches and your waist should be 15 which is not normal like you can't look like that you're going to start doubting that that's not the truth um Maybe that you're going to start thinking that's true. I mean, I'm definitely on Instagram a lot and I'm like on social media a lot. I'm like almost a bit addicted. So I do kind of catch myself, please 
align with what you believe in and also I can do that but what it for me it's like what about the 15 year old girl who's thinking about getting an operation to get her bum done you know or like a young black woman or a young um indigenous latin american woman like what what, she, what happens then because people think that like, all colombian girls have big bums when like it's just all these ideas which come from like maybe like two percent or like three percent of women you know but i think black women especially i think they are because their bodies are so like in, very much in the media very much up for conversation um very much quite visual also that I think consent can be quite blurred. I think also some men kind of feel obliged or have some sort of... have They, they have a position whereby they can kind of just have the conversation about your body without consent. Because I think having the conversation about your body without your consent in itself is unconsensual. Like, you can't just say, oh, yeah, you've got a nice bum, you've got thick thighs, um, or, wow, you've got a nice boobs, without at least initiating, like... Can I go into that? Can I? Is do you feel comfortable with me feeling um speaking about this? Um, and I think like the black body, like the black female body, is up for conversation like all the time, and it does come in when it comes down to like sort of sexual experiences with men or with women. I mean, by all means, everyone. Like, where does this line kind of cross? Where does the conversation about your body not become the topic of conversation? Like, I think that just creates doubt and makes people feel insecure, makes women feel insecure. And that's why you have, like, women going under the knife, you know, and it's an expensive, dangerous process. And why do we have these... Why do we have women doing this? Are they really doing it for themselves? I don't know. I'm not... I, I can't speak on behalf of that. I can't speak on behalf of women who choose to do that for themselves. But if, if it's, like, your lips or your um, or your cheeks, yeah, that's your face. It's, like, it's an everyday visual experience. But if it's your boobs and it's your bum... Who are you doing this for? Are you doing this for yourself? And I'm not judging. I do not. Well, I don't want to judge. But like, if the con- if we didn't have a, such a prominent conversation of men, like visually complimenting complimenting women's bodies, would women be forced to be like checking in with like plastic surgeons, increasing their bums, increasing their boobs? So, who knows? Like I grew up a lot around a lot of Scottish old ladies. They're like, "Oh, Isabella, like, um, I l- like your complexion is so exotic." It's focusing on the race aspect is what defines the beauty of it. When it comes to fetishization as well, like because like personally I'm mixed race, so I'm part Japanese, but I'm also um, American. Um, so how I look to certain people like really differs to most Asian people. In general, as a rule, I've found like with Asian communities, if you don't look completely Asian, they don't really like, they don't view you as Asian, like as Asian as them. Um, so by Asian people, I'm seen as white, but by white, most white people, they're like, you're not one of us. <laughs> or like, they don't see me as um, like Caucasian. They see me as an ethnic minority. Often they can't figure out which one, but um, <laughs> which is fun. When it comes, is this whole idea of you can't complain if you're mixed race because you have like, you're told you have the best of both worlds. You have these qualities and these qualities. Um, I mean, I, I know it's a huge problem um, in the black community when it comes to colorism and things like that. Um, but even with like Asian like characteristics, I was in Uber the other day, and the Uber driver is like to me like, "Oh, so where are you from?" I'm like, "Oh, well, I'm like part Japanese and everything." He's like, "Oh, really?" He's like, "Oh, for a Japanese person, like you, like you're like really pre- you're really pretty, like much more than like normal Japanese girls." And I was just like, "Well, what do you like? What do you mean by that?" And then he was like. I don't know, he started talking about like weird facial features and I was just like, 
I was just like, where is this coming from? Like, why are you so specific? It's just, yeah, it's like something I definitely do not agree with. So it's, it's this kind of internalized prejudice and discrimination. It's something I've experienced, like, as a woman, like, as an Asian woman, very commonly. Like, there's this kind of, like, submissive element that we're expected to portray. I grew up in Scotland, and most of my life, like, like say, like, 16 years passed by, like, I, I only dated boys that were white, but it wasn't like a kind of like I was choosing that. It just so happened. No one commented about that, though. Like, notice no one ever said like, oh, so you only like white guys. The minute that I dated one black guy, um, all of a sudden, like all these people turn around to me. And they're like, oh, so you're only into black guys now. And I'm like, wait, what? Who told like I was like, is someone like saying like spreading some rumor or something like and they're like, oh, no, no, not that there's anything wrong with it. I was like, well, first of all, I don't see why there would be something wrong with that, but okay. Yeah, like, part of the problem, like, and I, I turned around to, like, people, and I was just like, why do you feel the need to, like, make that such a big deal? Like, you never did that when I was only dating white guys. Like, why is it? And they're like, oh, no, it's, it, it's, it's not that bad, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there's definitely this phenomenon as well of, like, um, white males being intimidated by that, there's this kind of like feeling that they feel like this is white male inferiority to black men. A lot of the time, like we all hold these like inward prejudices and discriminations and we like we don't address it. And it's this kind of thing where, um, you know, race racism is now like tended to be viewed as a binary thing. If you call someone a racist, it's, it's like the worst thing in the world. Um, whereas racism is a spectrum. Racism is a spectrum. You're not a racist and you're not... Well, I mean, you can be a racist. It is possible. But it's not always that you're a racist person or you're not a racist person. Like, there are, there are like, held beliefs that people don't realize and they're not willing to, like, own up to. And so I, th I think that's, like, a really important thing that we all need to do. I think all black people have experienced it and it's just a case of knowing that you're going through it or not. It's become such a norm that people don't really see the difference. So in terms of exoticization I mean it's based on stereotypes me personally I'm, a, I'm Jamaican I was born in Jamaica and I was in Jamaica on holiday because I raised my entire life in this city and being on a beach in Jamaica they just look at you as a black man think you're local and I've had women 50 come up to you thinking that they can just touch you that they you know you want to go on a date with them you want to be around them because they see themselves as privileged and they want everything and that includes young men not realizing that I don't need anything from them I don't you can't give me a passport that I already have and this experience of they think oh there's an exotic man let me get it but what does it come from definitions tall, dark and handsome. What does dark mean? Because tall is tall, is height. Handsome is what you perceive as handsome, beautiful. You get it in this country, you get it abroad, but it's, that's, it's an entitlement. It's, I'm great and I want this, so I'm going to take it. And they look down on countries. That's why you have titles such as third world countries. Not knowing that person, that person's background. They just assume you're here, you're from this country, therefore you're poor. I can take from you what I want. So definitely have experienced it. In London, you experience it the most because London has people from all over the world. Yeah. People who come from countries that don't have black people or very minute they don't 
mix with them, they don't talk to them, they don't experience with it. So what do they do? It's something exotic. Yeah. Just like how people want to sample food from different countries in different parts of the world. Women come to this country, they see Asian, Indian, Pakistani, Black, Caribbean, African, and they've exoticized it and that's what they want. So I think it's looking deep at the root and it's definitely there. One huge example, which it's currently still happening in places like the Middle East, Dubai. It's, I don't see it as much here in England, but definitely there was a period of time when it was really strong with Chinese, Japanese tourists. They'd be here, they'd see black people and they'd start taking photos of you. And they don't ask, they don't, there's no consent, they just start taking photos of you. And then they ask, can I take a photo with you? After they've already taken a few. Yeah. But what's that photo for? They haven't answered your name, they've not met you, they just want to take a photo with you. That's the fetishization. It's something different. It's like when you go to the zoo, and that's how it feels, and that's exactly what it is. And they will come and you say, oh, can I take a photo with you? But while they're saying that, their friend's already pointing the camera. They're getting into position. So I've experienced that definitely in London. It's a violation of space, it's demeaning. It makes you feel like, what, you're just an animal on show for them. It's rude. But the mentality is, I don't know, because not, I'm not on the other side, but that's what it is. It's demeaning. It feels demeaning. It's like the fact that someone is just going to take a photo of you and just think that it's okay to pose as you, not because of your role, not because of you as a person. It's literally just because of your skin colour. And the thing is, the problem with it is that it's meant to be a compliment. And you're meant to be happy that you're being fetishized. You're meant to be happy that these tags and stereotypes are put on you. Because the person doing it normally thinks it's a positive one. Black men have gone through that for decades, if not centuries. It's, we look down on you, but we give you this one compliment, so you should be glad. How does that make anyone feel? It doesn't make you feel good. It's demeaning. That's what it is. You know. So those were the interviews that Celine conducted with students around SOAS. What did you find most interesting about the interviews? Um, I think something that was very interesting which came up was a way in which internalizing certain stereotypes and expectations um, that are perpetuated in the media can have an impact on consent because you're performing in a way these unreal and inauthentic um, ideas and stereotypes and trying to live up to these expectations. So it's very hard to extricate the parts of you that are you as opposed to um, notions that you've internalized. Yeah, I think leading on from what you just said there, there was um, in one of the interviews a woman who said about personal surveillance so how someone else's expectation of her because of how they racialized her um, impacts how people believe that other people should look and act, but also how that um, has an impact on one's self-perception, how someone feels like they can behave or they have to look, etc. Yeah, I think that highlights the harmful impact of fetishization and exoticization from internalizing um, these notions of racialized bodies, which I think is highly highlighted in, an, in another interview as well, where the interviewee talks about how that can express itself in eating, in terms of eating disorders or other issues with self-esteem and body image issues. So that was another interesting aspect. Yeah, I also thought it was interesting how when the interviews were talking about how racialized and fetishized perspectives 
are not only about how people feel attracted to certain people or how um, they feel like certain people should behave a certain way, but also about how it affects people's entitlement or a feeling of entitlement um, to talk about um, or touch people because of how they're racialized or fetishized. Yeah, and I think that's a direct result of not just power structures and systemic racism, but specifically in terms of fetishization, how reducing a group of people to a characteristic or a set of traits um, gives people, and particularly those in the media, the entitlement to talk about them and their sexuality and their bodies and perpetuate these stereotypes and ideas about them, which is very harmful, as we saw from the interviews. Yeah, and another thing that came up related to that in the interviews was about how um, racialization and fetishization has this impact, but also it intersects with other identities, be that queerness or gender. Um, this is something we're going to be covering in an upcoming episode about uh, topics of racialized and sanctioned queerness and about how consent works in queer spaces. So stay tuned for that episode. The depth of people's different experiences really maps out how prolific this is in people's self-perception, but also in consent and in their yeah. ability to have autonomy over their own bodies, maybe. I think the just the variety of people's personal experiences with fetishization and exoticization highlights how much of a problem and common issue it is and the fact that it really intersects with the ability to give consent when your identity is tied up with um, these stereotypes and these assumptions that people may make about you. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a very important conversation to have around consent and I'm very grateful to you for coming forward and helping co-produce this episode. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and let us know what you think. And I got in touch through the Google form in the show notes, um, which is how I got to co-produce this episode. So you can do that also. You can find the rest of the episode on the SOAS Radio website, soasradio.org. Thank you. Thank you.